we'll be walking through um, an attempted demonstration of, of what I've been talking about and how we can look at commands of God as being central to our approach to education and how we can answer some questions about some things that we should be studying and ways we should go about studying them. Um, I said in the first talk that I think that this is a, a helpful center to have in our approach to education a guide as to how we should be teaching our children. So, we're going to be talking about what subjects to teach and how to teach them in this talk. And we might ask at the beginning um, how similar, how dissimilar might this approach be or what kind of results will it, will it yield as opposed to just your traditional school subjects. Are there some that we, we won't do? Are there additional ones that we would do if we're following this approach? So in this talk, I want to explore these questions a bit more. And again, as I said at the beginning, um, I don't have any intention of giving an exhaustive sort of explanation as to the connection between the commandments and the, and the subjects. But again, just demonstrating sort of a way of going about thinking about these questions in light of the commandments. Okay, let's start with... Um, what has been clearly and authoritatively already identified for us as the greatest commandment. Um, it's also the easiest one to kind of um, infer from what we should be doing. The first commandment, again, love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. What does it mean to love God? There's always words in our expression of the Christian faith that we use so frequently as to have forgotten what they mean. I think this is one of those. Love, love for God. What what does that mean? Um, in one sense, it's a little easier to conceive of what it means to love our neighbor because there's our neighbor and um, we see their needs and we want to meet those needs. We have a desire to help them and so we put the energy into helping them. But when we're considering God and what it means to love God, God has no needs. He needs nothing from us. So what does it mean to love God? Well, looking to the Psalms, um, one, of the, one of the themes that's frequently there with connection to love to God is this idea of affection for and desire for God. Um, whom have I in heaven besides you? David says. I desire you above all things, David says. So I think when we talk about loving God, we mean desiring Him, valuing Him, also desiring what He desires, Desiring his pleasure, desiring his greater glory, and making him our chief end, what we seek above all things. And this is the command that we are told to fulfill with our entire beings. This is one of the few things in scripture that we're told to do without reservation whatsoever. With all of ourselves. So, what does the commandment to love God require us to know if we're going to fulfill it. This one, as I said, is fairly straightforward, fairly obvious. If we are striving to love God, we must first know God. What must we know about God in order to better love Him? Well, everything we can know about Him. Um, using the, the categories from the larger catechism, nature, the persons in the Godhead, His decrees, 
his acts of creation, his acts of providence, acts of redemption. In short, what we're talking about is theology. As Zach just said, yes, our children should be studying theology. Yes, theology is an integral part of worship and of loving God. Now, in Christian education, we need to take care to be sure that theology is not included as just one of the subjects that we study. Um, This subject of theology, this understanding of who God is, this needs to serve as the anchor for all of the rest. This is one of the the key distinctions of what it means for education to be Christian. Um, Theology, nature, the goodness of God, this is not one more topic to be included without which education would just be missing one thing. Um, This is not a topic that can be excluded without the education itself falling apart. Education cannot go on slightly less successfully without the knowledge of God. Education is necessarily a complete failure without the knowledge of God because God is the foundation. He's the organization. He is the the principle. Theology is the principle that ties everything else together that our children could ever study. Without God and without God at the center, the rest of the things in the universe do not have a center. They do not have a unity. They do not have a significance. They do not have ultimately a meaning. And if we try to teach our children the other subjects without reference to God, we'll find that we've not really taught them anything at all. They're missing, they will be missing the whole point of all of the rest of the things that they could learn. Another point for Van Til, as he says, Christian teachers know that not a single fact can really be known and therefore really taught unless it is placed under the light of the revelation of God. Well, another question with a somewhat obvious answer. What what do we study? What are the sources? What do we put in front of our children in order to give them the knowledge of God that they need in order to love God in the way that they're called to love Him? Obviously, the scripture is the primary source. As referring back to the education that Timothy received from his grandmother and his mother, Paul says it was the scriptures that he knew from infancy that were able to make him wise for salvation. The scriptures were the core of Timothy's education and training and keeping God's commandments. Um, as Zach has mentioned, and of um, supreme help in our understanding the scripture, we have the creeds of the church, we have the confessions of the church to help us better understand and find the unity in the scriptures. So, we have a command that very clearly shows us one thing that we should be studying and how we should be studying it as the center of everything else. And as obvious as this is, it's still important important, as we're studying theology to actively, consciously remember why we are studying it. Is it possible to teach and learn about theology and about God for reasons other than to help us better love God? Sure. We see people do it all the time. We see people studying theology because what they really enjoy is feeling smarter than other people. We see people studying theology because what they really enjoy is just the process of learning things and understanding. Um, The scripture is filled with admonitions against people just worshiping God, but their hearts being far from him. So what we have to remember and what we have to be finding ways to do as we're teaching our children who God is and about God's loveliness and about God's glory is 
reminding ourselves and reminding them the reason we're studying this is because we want you to love God. We want you to love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. Now, who is to be teaching our children theology? Obviously, the gospel and the Great Commission have been entrusted to the church, but very clearly, we have what we just looked at in the Ephesians passage. We have what we see in the in the First Timothy passage. This is a calling that is placed upon parents. There are some out there in certain traditions that would diminish the parents' capacity. Oh, you you know you shouldn't try to teach your 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 kids the scripture. That's something for the professionals to do. The scripture is very clearly opposed to that way of thinking. Scripture is very clear that this is what parents are supposed to be doing. With the help of the church, with the help of resources, for sure. But it's not something that parents can just simply farm out to someone else. Okay, so far, that to me felt pretty clear. Love God means we know God. Um, What about these other subjects? Because still, we could say, certainly we should study God, we should study theology. Um, Perhaps we're not completely anti-intellectual, but maybe we have a more focused and narrow anti-intellectualism. We will study God, but still make the case that any of the other stuff that we can learn and study in school and teach is, is worth knowing about. First of all, though, if we appeal to the scripture itself, the scripture shows us, demonstrates to us, that there are additional ways that man can learn certain things about God. So not just focusing on the scripture, but looking outside of the scripture. Some other things that it's profitable for us to understand, even if the only goal we had was to better understand and to better love God. Um, Example, um, J. Gresham Machen said in an article, um, The Importance in Christian Scholarship, the maker is revealed by what? By the things he has made. And citing Romans 1, he goes on to say, natural religion has therefore the full sanction of the Bible. We also learn more about God and who he is and what he does and about his loveliness and about his glory through his exercise of providence in history. So at the very least, we have these other things, nature, history, that ought to be studied for what they reveal about God and his goodness. We'll see though as we go on that there are other commandments that push this more to the forefront. Where do we find that? Well, we find it in the second greatest commandment. First commandment, love God with all of your being. Second commandment, love your neighbor as yourselves. So, what does the second great commandment commend to our consideration? Loving our neighbor. We are in obedience to God, and we are in also in pursuit of the first great commandment to love our neighbor, our fellow man, made in God's image. And what does this mean? We talked a little bit about it earlier. It means to desire his good. It means to work for his good. It means to consider how we can help him achieve a better good. Loving our neighbor means working toward his good and desiring that good. Now I ask you then, thinking about that commandment, how do we love our neighbor? What is it that we need to know? What more do we need to know in order to do this more effectively? To what studies can we direct our attention and direct the attention of our students to help them be better lovers of their neighbor? Well, again, somewhat obvious. Most obvious of these subjects we can summarize by saying, man, the humanities. Um, To love man well, we need to understand man. We need to know his nature. We need to know his true condition. We need to know his needs. We need to know his true good. We need to know how that good can be achieved. 
To love man well, we really need to know man well in his fullness and all of his dimensions and what conduces to his well-being. There's a saying, and it's false. The proper study of man is man, and the reason it's false is because the idea there is there's exclusion of everything else, particularly things divine. But there is a truth in it, in that it is proper for us to study man in order to understand how better to love our fellow man. Where does this understanding of man begin? Well, it begins in the same place that we begin with theology. It begins in the scriptures. And again, this is the distinctive mark of Christian education, that as it approaches the humanities, as it approaches this topic of what does it mean to be human and how can humans best be loved, it begins with what Scripture says about the topic. Scripture alone, Scripture alone gives us the definitive foundation as to man's identity, man's true condition, especially his fallen condition, and man's truest needs. Man cannot be understood apart from Scripture. However, the Scripture itself points to other things that it is helpful for us to know and to understand in this respect. Broadly speaking, I would say that the second commandment serves as a biblical warrant for our study of anything you could put under the category of humanities. History, government, economics, literature, philosophy, Why? Because these studies, these topics, when properly grounded in the principles of Scripture, they do genuinely give us additional insight into the nature of man, into the nature of his needs, how those needs can best be met. And when the humanities are studied not for the glorification of man, as is often the case, man the measure of all things, as you hear um, from the Renaissance period, when these things are instead studied with these particular ends in mind. How do we bless our neighbor? How do we love our neighbor? Then they're a a valid and a a worthwhile and a valuable study. Um, Why else might we study humanity? Why else might we study the humanities? Well, we study in order to better love our neighbor Um, But the study of man also helps us in our fulfillment of the first commandment, I would argue. So the history of man, again, as we've seen and said, the achievements of man, the glories of man, which though they fall short of the glory of God, there are still glories of man. And these teach us, because because man is made in God's image, these teach us some things about God as we see his image reflected in them, as we see also his mighty works among them as we see the way that he redeems them. As we focus on man, we're also learning about God and seeing more and more of the loveliness of God. Um, Additional considerations here. Um, There's a big question that's gone on since the very beginning of church history on the discussion of whether it's valid for us to study anything that comes from something other than a Christian source. Um, Tertullian is is famously known for saying, what has Jerusalem to do with Athens? And that was basically his attack on pagan learning. All of those who were um, among the Greeks before the coming of Christ. And there were others on the other side who said, no, anything that that is true is is something that we can use and should use in the pursuit of of godliness, in the pursuit of, of God's mission that he's placed upon us. 
One of the, one of the um, phrases that you hear from time to time in this discussion is the idea of plundering the Egyptians. Now, the, the story from which this comes is as the, as the Israelites are leaving Egypt, they're taking all of this stuff from Egypt with them and basically appropriating it for themselves and using it as their own treasure. I don't know where the, the, the phrase first came from, um, but it's the idea of taking things from unbelievers who have them, who don't really know the value or the true significance of them, and taking them and sanctifying them and using them in the pursuit of education or what ever else. And we do have some evidence, we have some indications in scripture of things that are done by, things that are thought by, things that are said by pagans as being useful to certain ends. And we just even have Paul quoting the pagans, not even in the sense in which the pagans were trying to communicate, but using pagan literature on the hill in Athens to make part of his argument. So while we do, I think Tertullian's um, concern was genuine and that we have to exercise great care in the things that we are adopting and the things that we are studying from those who are outside of the church and outside of Christ. We can also, I think the scripture tells us, we can be on the lookout for genuine insights of unbelievers that have been obtained through common grace and which are consistent with the scriptures and helpful in helping us better love God and love our neighbor. We learn about man that is, we study the humanities in order to better understand man's needs so that we might work to better meeting his needs and also so that we can better understand and love God. Okay, third commandment that we highlighted at the beginning. So far we have justification for theology. We have justification for the humanities. What was the third commandment? third commandment was the creation mandate that we discussed. What did this entail again? The exercising of dominion over creation. Again, most of these answers are fairly obvious. If our duty, if part of our mission as humans is to subjugate creation, we need to know something about it. We need to know how it works. We need to know how it can be brought into subjection. And so what we have in this creation mandate is a fairly clear and strong biblical warrant to study nature, to study what has historically or more recently been called science. Science used to be a much broader term. It was any body of knowledge. So what we've talked about so far would have been called theological science, the science of theology, and perhaps moral philosophy or the science of, of the humanities, any body of knowledge. And so natural science or natural philosophy would be another one of these. Um, Van Til says in his um, essay, Faith in Our Program, he said, God gave man a work to do and a task to accomplish. Man was to bring out to the full all of the powers and the capacities that God had placed in him and the world about him. And he says, this is a very sort of bold statement. Um, we are seeking to build the perfect man and the fully perfect creation. Now, I have to say, he goes on in others' writings to explain, this isn't something that we achieve in this lifetime. This is something that's only fulfilled at the end when Christ comes. But he is talking about it in the context of what is Christian education for? What is it trying to do? It's trying to bring out, again, all of those powers and those things in man, but also, he includes in that, bringing about the fully perfect creation. So, what would that commandment, what would that mission, what would that endeavor require us to know? about, well, everything else. The heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is as the scripture encapsulates it. 
commonly called, again, science, natural philosophy, wisdom about nature. We see uh, there's a, a fun little reference, which I wish I knew more about, but Solomon, and one of the things that's described in his wisdom is he wrote Proverbs about all kinds of stuff. And the Proverbs that we have, we see, about social relations, about the law of God, about economics, about law, all those sorts of things. But in one section it says, and he wrote Proverbs even about the vine that grows out of the wall. I would have loved to know what that proverb said. What did he say about the vine that grows out of the wall? But you can't read very far in Scripture without seeing how fully saturated the Scripture itself is with the discussion of nature and uses of nature to make particular points. Even if all we wanted to do was better understand what the Scripture said, it would behoove us to be very familiar with the world that God has created, the physical world. Now, this is one of those things these days where um, we don't have to really make this case. This is just part of the flow of the world's thinking right now. Lots of focus, lots of emphasis on the STEM field, right? Science, technology, uh, technology, engineering, mathematics, all of those things. What we have to watch out for, though, is not to fall into the trap of the reason that the world, the unbelieving world, is pursuing that. Many people are pursuing, pursuing those disciplines because they really think that that's all there is to reality. The material is all there is. Now, we recognize that the material is good, that the creation of God is good, but we also recognize that it's not ultimate. Again, this is that point of antithesis between the world's approach to education and the scriptures and the Christians' approach to education. What about the sources again? How do we go about studying the natural world? Well, as with everything, we must begin with what the Word of God says about it. Um, we cannot, just as we cannot know God without Scripture, just as we cannot truly know man without Scripture, I would say we cannot understand nature without Scripture. Nature in its true fullness and its true meaning. We can understand certain things about ways nature works without the rest of it. But it's a very narrow, truncated understanding of what nature truly is. What about the other commandments? As we study nature, as we approach this topic, we approach it in, in, the, um, in an effort to fulfill the creation mandate, but what might it help us to do with respect to the other commandments? Well, how might nature and the study of nature help us love God better? Well, we've already alluded to this. Scripture, as it talks about creation, as it talks about the heavens, as it talks about the way animals work, as it talks about the way water flows, Psalm 104, it's just a beautiful portrait of the world that God has put together and the way it works together and the care that he takes for it. Scripture constantly reminds us when we look at what is made, we are seeing the glory of God. We are seeing the wisdom of God. We are seeing the power of God. We are seeing the beauty, the magnificence of God. And I would bring that back as something that as we teach our children about the world, that's something to which we constantly have to be coming back. This isn't just cool. And it's not just interesting and cool by accident. It's moving you to glory, child, as you're seeing this phenomenon because there is a God of glory behind it. A God who we always have to be seeing behind this. Without it, we haven't understood nature. We haven't even begun to. Nature and study of nature is one of the means by which we see the loveliness of God, his incredible beauty. Another thing to consider, studying nature. How might it help us in the fulfillment of the second greatest commandment, loving our neighbor? Well, it's interesting. Scripture many times points back to 
our love for our neighbor necessarily takes quite frequently a very material expression Um, John says what if you say to someone who lacks clothing and lacks food "Ah, be warm and well fed you've not done anything for them you've not blessed them men and women have physical needs and the way we meet those needs oftentimes is through physical means think about all of the science that we've seen accomplished in the last couple of centuries Um, cures for diseases ways of transportation all sorts of things that are used to better our lives this is a legitimate pursuit loving our neighbor and in order to fulfill this pursuit we have to understand how the world works one thing I want to say at this point I think it's a good place to throw it in because we've looked at these three major areas another very important thing in our education is this idea of integration that is in teaching everything that we teach not in isolation and in a disconnected fashion from each other but unifying everything in God in God's will in God's plan in God's commands having God at the center remembering what what Paul has said that all things in heaven and earth have been united in Christ and him hangs together everything and so as we consider these subjects one of the things that scripture encourages us to do is see how they relate to one another all of these principles all of these things need to be in the forefront of our minds and here's why these goals are not achieved by accident Um, this way of teaching our kids these things that we want our our children to see in the world and be able to do they're, they're not going to happen without our intentionally trying to make sure that they're happening especially given the powerful effort of the world to push our kids in the other direction to push them away from the true purposes for which we study and learn anything we learn about nature in order to fulfill the creation mandate we begin in scripture to understand that we study nature itself with a view toward how it can be fruitfully cultivated how it can be used for the better love of our neighbor and how we can see and how we can proclaim the glory of God in it okay so so far the commandments of God the first three that we've considered command to love God the greatest the second greatest command to love our neighbor and the the mission that was given to humanity at the beginning to exercise dominion over the earth Um, we've seen how these kind of map onto what historically have been considered the three main branches of the sciences again the theology moral philosophy and natural philosophy these are the things about which in order to fulfill God's commands we need to know things as we've discussed but one more group of things to consider and that is again reflecting upon the purposes for our education the purposes for our studying the fact that we're learning about these things in order to do something with the knowledge implies the need for something more than a merely theoretical knowledge Um, the purposes for which we're studying these things are purposes for which strictly theoretical knowledge I know about that thing is not going to be sufficient we need knowledge also that we can do something with we need the knowledge of how to do these things 
And so we can see that this approach of centering on God's commands as sort of the, the measure of what we should be studying and how leads us also beyond just the sciences to what we call the arts. Maybe you've seen that. I remember seeing it for a long time. School of Arts and Sciences. What, what did that mean? Like a painting and biology? Well, no. It's, it's basically this same categorization. This body of knowledge where you know this thing is a science. And then the art is learned skills in interacting with that body of knowledge. And I want to talk about these in, in two ways. Um, first of all, the skills that we need to pick up in order to obtain knowledge in those fields. And then the second is the skills that we need in order to put that knowledge to use for the intended purposes, which we have defined according to the commandments of God. Let's consider the first one of these. Um, a collection of skills that in more recent years has been given the title language arts, sometimes the verbal arts, um, but historically in years prior and centuries prior um, was called the, the trivium. Trivium, which consists of grammar and logic and rhetoric. The trivium, incidentally, is one of those things that remains one of the hallmarks of the classical approach to Christian education. It's not that other schools don't teach these things. They just don't teach them in this fashion and with this kind of emphasis. But the trivium, grammar and the logic and the rhetoric, these include the skills we need, first of all, in order to learn things to begin with. It, taking it back to its very, very elemental stage. We learn to read. Why? So that we can gain knowledge from the things that we read. In the most basic sense of the term. How to read then with understanding. Not just pronouncing the words, but get the content from what we're reading into our brains. But then beyond merely reading, we move into the realm of logic. Through which we seek to acquire skill, not just in understanding the meaning of what's read, but also in weighing it, in evaluating it, in testing it. More broadly, these disciplines train us in the pursuit of truth, in how we go about posing important questions about things, how we go about searching for evidence, how we go about evaluating evidence, how we go about drawing the proper conclusions, and in short, again, how we go about learning more stuff about these subject areas. This, this art, the trivium, is fundamental to all of the other sciences. But also in this trivium, we move into the realm of rhetoric, that is, in the realm of articulate expression. Rhetoric is one of those words that rhetorically gets a bad name. Um, rhetoric, if we might just say, well, that's just rhetoric, meaning there's no substance to it. And there were schools of thought and schools of, of approaches to the trivium that very consciously and deliberately did take things in that, in that direction. It really doesn't matter what the truth is. It matters what you can convince people of. But rhetoric, considered in its purer form, is really just the the science or the art of taking the truth that we have learned and communicating it in a clear and an attractive and a persuasive fashion. The lack of this very important aspect of modern education and the disastrous consequences that follow the loss of these arts we see every day in the news as we watch political discourse and I think we see more and more as we just have 
everyday conversations with people. We are not, as a society, any longer taught to think. Plain and simple. And it's extremely, extremely difficult and unfortunate problem. And it's unfortunately working its way into the church as well. We don't think any longer. We don't reason. We don't consider. We don't meditate. We don't mull. We just emote. And we mistake emoting for thinking. Um, the Proverbs. But what biblical warrant do we have for engaging in this kind of art and learning this art? The, the Proverbs have whole lots to say about proper methods of conducting investigations, about how to pursue wisdom. The Proverbs also contain lots of instruction on how to increase the persuasiveness of our, of our speech. These are valid endeavors. We also have lots of work that's been done through the years by those, again, outside the church. This whole question of those who are pagans, who are studying discourse, who are studying argument, who are studying speech. And I think, again, by God's good common grace, coming up with valid observations. This works. That doesn't. The ancient world put a lot of thought into such matters. And we see Paul giving some evidence of being familiar with some of these forms and even using some of these rhetorical forms in his own discourse. Why do we need the skills, the arts, the verbal arts, the rhetorical arts? Why do we need the trivium? Well, we need these skills in order to most fully love God. Again, in pursuing knowledge of Him. We need these skills as we're studying Scripture. We need these as we're studying the humanities. We need these skills as we're studying nature. Everything. Um, we need these skills to love our neighbor. To speak the truth to our neighbor, to speak persuasively to our neighbor, to guide our neighbor into paths that are less disastrous and more fruitful. And quite clearly, these are skills that if we give them to our children, will assist them in their own taking up of the Great Commission as well. Whatever form it takes, whether you call it the trivium, whether you use classical curriculum, I just encourage you, teach your kids to think. The scriptures very clearly warrant us to do that. That's extremely necessary. Another category of arts, and I'll call this math and science. Again, sort of the traditional school subject. We think of math and science, and I think everyone knows what I mean by math. Um, well, maybe not, because there's kind of two two ways we can talk about it. There's a, a science element of math, meaning there's a body of knowledge that is a mathematics that can be studied as a subject. But more frequently, what we're, what we're encountering in, in school is math as an art. That is the act of calculating, the act of figuring out equations, the act of solving problems, problems that are theoretical and problems that are practical here. Why do, I, why do I include science and math and the arts? I thought we already talked about science in, when we are talking about nature. By science here, I mean primarily the scientific method, um, which bears some relationship to the logical arts we talked about earlier, but has a particular character of its own. And the distinction I would make is where grammar, logic, and rhetoric really deal with discerning the truth of things that are expressed in words. The scientific method has more to do with the truth that it's expressed by things or by numbers. Um, people have said, and I think with good reason, that um, mathematics is the language of of nature or the language of reality. Now, as a humanities guy, I do have to throw in 
the world was spoken into existence. So fundamentally, we're talking about a verbal act. We can measure it mathematically afterwards. That's fine. And it's necessary. And it's important. Um, these two arts together, the scientific method and mathematics, I think are the primary means by which we do come to understand the workings of nature. And consequently, they're very important tools for us to acquire. They're very important tools for us to give to our children. Um, more than that, though, they're tools for actually accomplishing, like I said, the tasks that God has set before us with respect to nature. We need math. We need the scientific method in order to exercise dominion over nature. We need math. We need the scientific method in order to figure out how to use nature to help our neighbor and to better glorify God. These are the skills that we use when we're developing a new and more productive farming technique, when we're building a bridge, when we're searching for a cure for cancer. Important things. The study and mastery of these theories of arts and math and science also set before the student what? The orderly nature that is inherent in creation. Philosophers are constantly wondering about this. How do these abstract ideas and how do these mathematics actually end up mapping onto reality. How is that even possible? Well, we know how it's possible. We know that the same mind that has given us mathematics is the same mind that gave us creation. They map on one another for a reason. And so studying the more theoretical nature of math and of science also points us again to the majesty of God and the orderly character of our creator. One more area of arts to talk about. And perhaps this is the sense in which we most commonly hear the term, and that is in the fine arts. Something frequently studied in school. What do we include in this? Include things like music and painting and sculpture and arguably some aspects of, of poetry, maybe creative writing as well, though there are aspects of those that would overlap with the, the verbal arts as well. Um, again, all of these questions, all of these things we're considering could be several seminars in and of themselves. Um, but let me focus just on the simple preliminary question. Do these things, do the fine arts have a place in the education of our covenant children who are being brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in order to keep the commandments of God, to love God, to love their neighbor, to exercise dominion over creation and fulfill the Great Commission? Scripture would give a resounding yes. Countless examples of these sorts of things, of music and of art, visual arts even, and poetry, um, being specifically commissioned by God himself for his own greater glory, for the blessing of humanity. This is, again, one of the casualties of the, of the stem thrust in modern education is that the arts oftentimes go by the wayside because... After all, what practical, tangible, material thing, benefit do they provide for us? Well, we know that there is more to reality than that. We know that there is more to humanity than that. And so I think we, even more than the unbeliever, can see and have a place for and understand the importance of these kinds of arts. The song that comforts our brother in a difficult time the visual artistry in a home that makes it a place of greater comfort and joy for our guests. That short story that we read that displays the beauty of an act of heroism that co consequently inspires us in the same direction. All of these things are gifts of God. All of these things are given to us for the blessing of our neighbor. 
and it's good and it's right and it's important that we also bestow such skills upon our children. So that's just one walkthrough of showing you ways we can think about how the commandments of God, which Scripture sets before us as the thrust of our education of our children, really lend themselves to a lot of the things we would commonly think of as being part of their education. But they give it specific purpose and they give it specific approach that we should take with it. Um, But there's one more commandment that I mentioned in the first talk that I haven't discussed in detail yet. And I saved it to the end. And that is the Great Commission. One of the reasons that I saved this to the end is that arguably we can view the Great Commission as this crowning command, this crowning mission, the fullest expression of the fulfillment of the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love our neighbor and the completion of that first commandment that's given in time to exercise dominion. But I also end with the mentioning of this command because of how I think it helps us see and appreciate in a way that we haven't seen in as much detail yet the exhaustive scope of what can legitimately be considered in the education of a covenant child who is to participate in the mission to disciple the nations. I have a writing and background. Um, one of the things I've always heard even growing up in writing instruction is that you never want to end a discourse with an extended quote from someone else. I say that because I want you to know that I'm about to violate the rule not because I don't know it but because I don't agree with it. Because it's hard to think of something better to say than this tie all of this together as we're looking at all of the things that can be learned and we're looking at all the purposes that God has given us for learning them. And I'm going to have to go with my guy this time. So Jay Gresham Machen back to the OPC. Who says this? The field of Christianity is the world. The Christian cannot be satisfied so long as any human activity is either opposed to Christianity or out of all connection with Christianity. Christianity must pervade not merely all nations, but also all of human thought. The Christian, therefore, cannot be indifferent to any branch of earnest human endeavor. It must all be brought into some relation to the gospel. It must be studied either in order to be demonstrated as false or else in order to be made useful in advancing the kingdom of God. The kingdom must be advanced not merely extensively but also intensively. The church must seek to conquer not merely every man for Christ but also the whole of man. To love God, to love their neighbor, to exercise dominion over creation, to disciple the nations. That is what our children are being called to do and consequently that's what we're being called to help prepare them to do. And this is the service into which all kinds of learning can be and should be employed.